Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today is Cindy Gave, president and founder of HR Advantage. Welcome to the program, Cindy. Thanks, Jim. So, Cindy, we're going to get in and we're going to talk about the seven leadership practices. But for our audience, give us the seven leadership practices. What are they? The first one is feedback. Uh, the second, one-on-one. Then performance reviews. Job accountability. Goals. Development. And succession. We are talking with Cindy today about Performance Advantage, which is her program for leadership coaching centered around the seven leadership practices, and particularly her work with uh, how to accelerate performance without making yourself or your staff crazy. So, Cindy, tell me about that. Well, you know, we've been working with accelerating performance in organizations. We really like to think of ourselves focused on empowering success for our clients through our expertise in human behavior. Um, and we've always done it in a classroom-type setting, but we've had a lot of clients push us through the years to come up with a way that we can do this in more of a coaching, ongoing, real-time um, uh, approach. And we first looked at ways that we could refer to other coaches, and we had a really tough time finding coaches who would stay focused and just keep their coaching strictly on leadership practices. Our clients didn't want us to go down the path of life coaching or etiquette coaching or other business strategies. They really felt they they needed some more focused specifically on leadership, and we had a tough time finding anyone who would retain that focus. So we decided, well, we better do it ourselves because we can't find anyone um, who will do it for us. So we decided to take much of the work that we had done in accelerating performance, and we do think of it as accelerating performance, not just managing it. We want to turn up the volume on performance, not just keep it static. And if we're going to do that, how would we, how would we lead it through? So it sounds to me, Cindy, that what you've seen a shift in the, in the workplace of we're not going to go do training for training's sake as much as would you come in and work with us to be more effective and so we can actually get the lift and accelerate what we're looking for. Is that what you saw? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We also found that with leaders who were prepared to engage in one-on-one coaching, they were far more invested in putting in the effort of doing things correctly than those who might passively sit through a training class of 25 to 30 people. Even if, it, even if those training classes were once a month and they built on each other, which certainly has much more impact than a three-day retreat where you get a lot of emotional buy-in and not a lot of behavior change, you can see a much greater, much faster return on investment in the one-on-one coaching of especially a senior leader who's made the internal commitment 
to really focus on leadership. And, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this in terms of um, my experience has been that they, the leaders of these companies really truly look at how do I really, as you said, and I think that's the key word for it, accelerate performance. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And uh, um, our clients through the years have worked with us. You know, we've been in business for 13 years, and much of that business has been in the selection. How do I make sure I'm hiring the A players? So a lot of our clients have developed a rhythm about how their selection process has to focus on that. They bring in these A players, and suddenly they're getting A-minus or B-plus performance, and they can't figure out why. Well, a lot of that is because it's a reflection on the leader themselves. You can get a performance out of someone, but you got to create the environment. you got to give them the tools to do it. You know, think about some of your best athletes, your best hockey players, your best baseball players. Um, they can go from one team to another and have a phenomenal year or have a disastrous year because of everything else around them. They haven't changed much, but everything else has. You know, that's interesting because there's probably not many people leading a company who would first look to themselves and say, what do I have to change to get better at, as much as looking at an employee and saying, well, if, if they would only do this, if they would just get this done, boy, they'd be, be so much more productive. Do you find that to be true? Correct. Okay. All right. So how do you work that's, with That's the, absolutely true. Yeah, so how do you work with... Uh, or, or your experience, be able to see or get these executives to see, hey, you know, let's first look in the mirror and let's see what's getting reflected back. Um, by the time they're meeting with us, they at least have come to the realization that they're, they're frustrated. They know their direct reports need more um, or they need more out of their direct reports and they're not sure what to do about it. So they've engaged us in conversation somehow, and I can usually ask a couple of questions like, well, what makes you confident that this person has a potential to begin with? And they cite a couple of things for me that says, yeah, this person probably does. It doesn't take much. There are seven predictable, proven practices that if the leader does them, will accelerate the performance of their direct report. If you have a C player, you should get them up to B. If you have a B player, you could get them up to A if you did these, and an A to an A+. plus. So I start asking questions about, tell me about both the positive feedback and the course corrections that you regularly give your direct report. Tell me about the most recent one you did. And if they're scratching their head trying desperately to remember, <laughs> I know it hasn't been recent. Um, you know, what kind of rhythm do you have in meeting with your direct reports on a one-on-one -on -one basis? And we just kind of go through our seven leadership practices to see how they're doing it. And then they finally realize, wow, maybe it isn't just them. The other thing that I will often ask, even if I have a group of CEOs or um, uh, business unit leaders in a room, I'll ask them all to raise their hand if they got up this morning thinking, hmm, how can I be a loser today? And interestingly enough, nobody ever raises their hands. <laughs> so I ask them to start with the premise then to believe that most people, there are some exceptions out there, most people want to be successful. Most people don't get up in the morning looking for ways to be failures. 
So if most people want to be successful, what can we do to give them what they need to achieve that goal? And that's when we can lead them through these seven leadership practices that take the mystery out of it. It's not rocket science. But it does require some discipline, and it does require some predictability. So let's talk about uh, those seven practices. Would you summarize um, for our audience, uh, first of all, the list of what those seven are? Sure. Um, and, and this is based on the premise that we're really focusing more on empowering behaviors than controlling behaviors. And by empowering, I don't mean anarchy. Um, I have heard other folks refer to the empowering as transformational leadership as opposed to transactional. But it's a way to tap into the internal motivations of an individual rather than just using a carrot or a stick to get them to do what, what you want from them. So the seven leadership practices would begin with feedback. So when we talk about feedback, we're really talking about both positive feedback as well as course corrections. And we're talking about them from a perspective of being timely, as close to the situation or observed behavior as possible, focused on behavior, not an opinion. You know, you have a lousy attitude, doesn't do much to help people understand what's going on. But, gosh, you seem to be slamming doors and talking curtly to people. Is there something going on? That's a little bit more effective. But we, we talk about feedback happening on a regular a consistent basis. We then talk about one-on-ones, and we probably get a lot of pushback initially on the one-on-ones, ironically, but, and I say ironically because as soon as a leader begins their one-on-ones, within two to four weeks, they will start seeing an immediate return on that investment. It's just amazing. So these one-on-ones should be once a week, initially book about 30 minutes. Over time, they'll probably drop to about 15, 20 minutes, but they are all about the direct report. These one-on-ones are not about the leader. It is not a time to dump, and it's not necessarily the time to give feedback. It is a time to check on the relationship you're having with your direct report. When you think about the people you've worked for in the past, the people you would have done anything for, the people you felt really cared about you as a human being. So while I'm not much into the touchy-feely part of HR, I do think it's important for you to know what's going on in the life of your employees. So if the proverbial just hit the fan last night, you're not trying to overload them with delegated work. It's also a time in these one-on-ones to check about the progress that they're making on any projects they're working on, even their day-to-day activities. And in these one-on-ones, I ask our leaders to use the phrase, what resources can I give you, what obstacles can I remove in order for you to get yourself back on track or in order for you to pick up some speed. I specifically ask our leaders not to use the phrase, how can I help you? Jim, what do you think happens when you ask a direct report, how can I help you? They delegate up. Oh, Suddenly the leader has taken the task back on themselves. <laughs> so we don't want to do that. The whole idea is to make this direct report wildly successful. So what obstacles can I remove for you or what resources do you need in order for you to achieve your goal? And so that's what the one-on-ones are really about. So we've covered the first two practices of leadership, Cindy. What is the third one? 
The third practice is quarterly performance reviews. And we suggest quarterly for a number of reasons. Uh, one is the traditional annual review comes with a lot of flaws, not the least of which is the fact that if a leader waits till the end of the year to write a performance review, how much time do you think they really remember performance? And looking back, when we talk about weeks or months or the full year, how much time would you guess, wild guess, a leader, the average leader is capable of remembering. Oh, probably if, if they can go back a week, I'd be surprised, given everything that's going on that crosses their desk and what they're involved in. Yeah, for me, that's probably pretty true. They're saying the average leader is about six weeks max. Yeah. And yet you're writing the review for the whole year. So by doing it quarterly, we have um, a lot better time that we're remembering. In addition to that, those quarterly reviews should just be a summation of everything that's happened to the one-on-one. So there's no surprises, and they actually write themselves if you're cutting and pasting from your notes from, on the one-on-one. And additionally, we're finding there's real focus on performance. Um, I bet you can guess what's the one thing everybody thinks about as they're walking in for their annual performance review. What's the only thing on their mind? How much, of, how much the pay raise is going to be or... You uh, know what, it. Yep, exactly. How much yeah. the pay raise is going to be. Show me the money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's all they're thinking. Right. So until you get to that raise, they're just hearing the Charlie Brown kind of wah, 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 wah. That's all they're hearing <laughs> through the whole performance review. Right. So if you're doing quarterly reviews, we know that at least during three of those reviews, you have their undivided attention. And there are ways to make those performance reviews. I don't care what form you use. It does not have to be an elaborate form. There are some wonderfully um, ideal hard copy forms as well as Internet-based forms that are out there that can be used. I don't care what kind of form you use. I really like you to keep it simple. Um, and there are different things that we do in our coaching to give people some different options to keep it pretty simple so that they get done. Accountabilities um, are the fourth practice that we believe have to take place. There needs to be accountability set up for each job. It's different from a job description because these accountabilities will, will fall into buckets, three to five primary buckets. So I might have, if I'm in a sales role, I might have some sales accountabilities. If I have some leadership, I might have some talent accountabilities. And then for each of those accountabilities, three to five of them, there'll be priorities. How much time do I really spend in each? And in addition to that, we'll have things about what are the success factors. How will I know if I perform these accountabilities well enough to keep my job? And well, those things, again, we're going over those success factors in our one-on-one. Well, tell me about the... So is all of this making sense? Go ahead. It is. Just, just tell me about the success factors. What do you mean by success factors? I get accountabilities. You know, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go produce this, whatever that is, or get this work done. What do you mean by success factors? Well, as an example, what if I have an admin assistant who um, one of her accountabilities is getting me reports, a variety of reports every week or every month, 
the success factor might be that those reports, by the time they get to me, are 100% accurate. They are absolutely on time and um, reflect the information that I've given them. So the success factor is going to be accurate and timely, 100% accurate and 100% on time. That's my expectation. So if you're 90% accurate, don't take this job. Okay, so um, if it's an admin assistant who's making my travel arrangements, and so the accountability might be about uh, my travel. The success factor might be that there's no avoidable surprises, meaning I don't want to arrive at my destination and find out that, oh, nobody reserved a rental car for me. <laughs> so the success factors tell us how well that accountability needs to be performed. And where do the... It sounds to me that the success factors are the things that you would think through that drive you nuts about what don't get done on a job or something hasn't somebody hasn't thought through that, yes, if I am flying into LaGuardia and I do have a, a meeting in upstate New York, I probably need a car. Correct. But it's, again, there are some people who would look at those accountabilities, it's like, it's like setting the bar. Tell me where the bar is, and I can get over it. But perhaps they've worked for somebody in the past who always made their own travel arrangements. And so their concept of what the expectations should be or the success factor should be relative to that could be very different than what my expectations are. It's all about we accelerate the performance for, on our direct reports by making sure we're setting very clear expectations and that we're communicating clearly and consistently on a regular basis. Again, most people want to be successful, but they really haven't done well on those mind-reading skills of understanding exactly what it is we want. Okay. Thanks for explaining success factors. So what's, what's, okay. the, what's the next leadership principle then? The next leadership practice is on goals and goal alignment for the organization. I remember when I, uh, one of my first jobs out of college, I worked for a property management company and we had apartment communities all over the country. And we had an owner who would pop in at any one of these properties and shock the property, pretend to be an apartment renter and check it out from that person's perspective. And nobody really knew what this guy looked like. It was before Internet was really <laughs> too available with pictures of everyone. So he would pop up. And I remember him coming back and telling us this story of a time he um, pulled up outside of an apartment community and watched this groundskeeper plant flowers around the entrance sign. And the guy would plant the flowers and step back and size them up and then move forward, pull out one set of flowers, put in another set of flowers, step up, take a look at how that looks. And he was doing this for like 20 minutes. And finally, the owner goes up to this groundskeeper and said, what are you doing? And the groundskeeper, not knowing who he was, turned around and with the most sober face looked at him and said, I'm renting apartments. This guy knew how everything he did and how well he did it impacted the organization's goal to rent apartments because the leasing consultant wasn't going to be able to sell any apartments if people didn't drive in to begin with and meet with her. So he understood. So the goal 
in the gold portion of our practice is to say, how do we translate what the goal is of the organization down to each individual within the organization? And the best thing we can do is if we're clear about the top three to five goals of the organization, ask each department. Now, what three to five goals could your department do that would feed these three to five corporate goals? And then each person within each department should pick three to five goals they're going to make their focus in order to enhance the department goals, in order to, to work on the corporate goals. It's perfect goal alignment. And then we don't wind up with people, you know, working on extraneous topics or projects. And everybody feels like they're making a difference in the company. And it also and they it feel, feel that internal reward. And it feels like it, you get them to collaborate on what those goals should be. And, and probably there's probably better discussion centered around, especially when you focus it to the three, that these would be the three that are most impactful. That once they're rolled up and rolled together, it appears they would add a lot of momentum towards where you want the organization to head. Is that correct? You're absolutely right. And from a collaboration perspective, it really helps because if everybody understands what all those goals are, now if something comes up and we think, oh, we ought to go do this, it's easy to ask, well, how does that fit into our three goals that we're really focused on this quarter? It not only helps us keep focused on the things and get the things done we've made our goals, but it allows us to say no to things that are then distractions and take us away from achieving those goals. Okay. And uh, the next uh, practice is? Is development. We believe that if a leader is doing their job correctly, two years from now, none of your direct reports should be doing the exact same job in the exact same way. The reality is, is even if somebody's coming in to just make the donuts, within two or three years, They've got some different recipes. They've got some different sprinkles. They might have different equipment. They certainly have to be prepared to do things differently. So it comes back to Covey's idea of sharpening the saw. How can I stay sharp in my job? If you remember that particular practice uh, from Stephen Covey, uh, he talks about the analogy of the guy who went out into the woods, right, and he's cutting down all these trees. And the more trees he cuts down, the longer it's taking because the, the saw is getting more and more dull and it's requiring more effort and more labor and longer time. And somebody says to him, well, you know, why, why don't you stop and sharpen the saw? Well, I can't take time out to do that. I've got all these trees i got to cut down. So he doesn't sharpen the saw and he keeps working at it and working at it. Well, that is pretty obvious when you look at it from that way. That of course, the guy's going to be better off if he takes out just a few minutes to sharpen that saw and go back. We as individuals need to sharpen our saw, whether it's mentally or intellectually um, challenging ourselves, if it's from a um, leadership perspective or from a, a work perspective, industry perspective. It could be from a personal perspective. Maybe I need to drop a couple of pounds so that I, you know, I'm not so lethargic every day. Um, it could be from a spiritual side, and I'm not talking about bringing religion into the workplace, but spiritual could be about the core values of the company. And am I really demonstrating, am I taking the time to be an example of those core values? So the development has to be really focusing on 
How do I make myself sharp? How am I preparing myself to be of value to the organization as time goes on? And that also ties very closely into our seventh practice, which is succession. Cindy, I want to come back to a comment that you made that your direct reports should not be doing their job the same way today as they would two to three years from now. Um, I mean, that's kind of an obvious statement. At the same time, I think that's very insightful because how often do we go into organizations and we see that, well, we've always just kind of done it this way. So, so tell me why in that two to three year period, what changes in the employee or what changes in the organization or what changes that if you don't make those changes, something's going to happen? So give me some insight on that two to three years of just keep morphing your job. What do you see going on out there? That's a good question, Jim. Yeah, I think it it comes back to the premise that many economists will even tell you, you know, obviously the industrial revolution is over and the technological revolution is over. And the real exponential growth that any organizations are going to see are going to be through their people. So if the people aren't constantly fine-tuning and looking for best practices, whether it's for themselves or the way they're doing their job or more efficiently and working smarter, not harder, um, all of those things are, are, are going to be critical with whether or not the company can survive, not only just thrive. I mean, we're looking at trying to get an organization that's going to thrive, um, but survival is going to be very difficult if everyone within the organization isn't really all focused on doing the very best that they can and working a lot smarter. So, Cindy, you and I appear to be in lockstep with the concept that in business today you need to slow down to speed up. And part of that slowing down is developing your people because once you do, they're actually going to be able to move faster because they're being more effective. Is that what you're trying to say? You're absolutely correct. Uh, absolutely. And, and what's interesting is This slowing down concept, um, one of the pushbacks on the one-on-ones is, oh, my God, I don't have more time. I don't have another 30 minutes per direct report to carve out. And yet when our leaders schedule a half an hour every week, and it doesn't matter if the direct report is traveling or you're traveling, so you do it by phone, if you schedule that half hour every week, it is amazing how all of the other interruptions that happen every day, all day, constantly, go away. It's not to say that you're not going to get any of them, but they're so significantly reduced that now both you and your direct report can stay focused on the tasks at hand. Yeah, I say it stops the, you got a minute meeting? (laughs) Exactly. And it also allows you to focus on the important, not urgent, because in the absence of those 30-minute one-on-ones that are scheduled, the most communication that a business leader will have, especially a high-level business leader, we're talking somebody in the C-suite, CFO, CEO, um, something like that, the the most conversations you're going to have with your direct reports are going to be crisis-driven, the things that are both urgent and important. And we tend to, to neglect the important but not urgent until they, too, become urgent. And it allows us to work on those really important things and really grow the business purposefully instead of accidentally. 
So, Cindy, bring this all together then in our seventh leadership practice, which is what? The seventh leadership practice is succession. And whenever I mention succession to the um, small to mid-sized business owner, they think, oh, we're too small. You know, I can't take time out to have a full plan. And I'm not talking about an elaborate plan of who exactly is going to fill a spot. But it's probably more critical in small to mid-sized organizations that some consideration is given to succession. And when we talk about succession, we're talking about what are you going to do? What's your game plan if your direct report comes in to see you this morning and says, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I won the lottery last night. I'm out of here. Or I'm not going to talk about, you know, getting hit by the proverbial bus, but we're hearing a lot of stories of people going in for a routine doctor's visit and being shipped directly from there to the hospital for six weeks to get blood pressure or diabetes or something else under control. So if your direct report was suddenly plucked from your workplace, what is your game plan? It ties back into those accountabilities. Do we know what the critical functions of the job are and are they documented? Is there a book or an electronic file you can go to and grab it and hand it to a temp or to somebody else in the organization? If you know what those critical job functions are, then somebody else in the organization may be cross-trained to fill in in a pinch, especially on the critical ones. And, of course, that flows back into that person's development plan. We also suggest that there's a sourcing plan in place. If you needed to start looking for a replacement, where would you start looking other than monster.com? Would you have a network of people, a center of influence to whom you could reach out and ask for referrals? Would you use your LinkedIn account and tap into that, and how would you ask for it? So we suggest from succession is to think through what exactly you're going to do in that event. And it was interesting. One of our clients were coaching on this, gave us pushback, and he said, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it. I got this great team. Well, fortunately, we're about a year and a quarter into it. So he's been with us for five quarters of the, the coaching, and he's got accountabilities in place for all of his direct reports, and he had the critical functions all um, laid out, and he had a game plan of what to do. He's the CEO, so he's only got three or four direct reports, and he had a game plan of what to do in the event he had to start looking. Well, sure enough, his CFO came in and said, you know, I decided I'm going to be a full-time mom, and so I'm going to help you and work out a transition here but I'm going to need to start working my way out of this position. And instead of panicking, he was able to encourage her in this very difficult decision, um, give her a lot of support, and then say, all right, well, let's pull out this plan and let's start working it together. And the peace of mind he received by knowing he had a plan. He called us up and he said, it was so cool. I didn't lose a wink of sleep last night. I knew we had a plan to start working. That, that's great, which probably gives him a, a tremendous amount of confidence and the feeling that he's in control, which is where everybody wants to be anyway. Exactly. And it's interesting that you use the phrase that he feels in control. Interestingly enough, all of these practices give the leader the feeling 
that they are more in control. We, we hear on a regular basis, gosh, I'm sleeping so much better, even though things are in chaos and I'm looking to acquire one company and merge with another and I've got, you know, an ops person I'm not sure is in the right place and another salesperson who's making me think twice. I'm sleeping better because at least I know i got a game plan in place and I'll work at that plan. And it makes him feel like he's got his fingers on all of the buttons without micromanaging it. Cindy, thanks for sharing the seven leadership practices with our audience today. And is there one thought on this topic that you want to uh, leave our audience with? What would that one thought be? I, I guess the one thought would be, you know, for, for every client that we have being coached with this, they come back and say, you know, this isn't rocket science. It really um, makes all the sense in the world, but having somebody coach me on it in real time makes me feel comfortable I'm doing the right thing, and I just wish, I just wish I had done this sooner. And we're hearing that more and more often, no matter whether the economy is in um, uh, great straits or in peril. You know, everybody needs more out of the staff they already have. And when we hear our clients say, gosh, I just wish I had started this sooner, it makes us feel a great sense of reward that we're helping them and we're empowering the success of their organization. Cindy, as you engage with leaders of companies today, what's on their mind? What's keeping them up at night right now, given the current environment we're in? is most frustrating to them is it's the stuff they have no control over. Uh, perhaps that's why we're seeing them wanting to take uh, more control over the success of their direct reports and their organization because it's the one thing they can control um, amid all kinds of question marks. So, Cindy, if people wanted to engage you on your program, Performance Advantage, which is the seven leadership practices, how would they do that? one of two ways, Jim. They'll either ask me to come in as a keynote speaker and conduct a half-day workshop for a group of their peers, other leaders, um, in which we go over techniques for each of these seven leadership practices and how to implement them, or they'll ask us into their organization and they'll ask me to do the half-day workshop for all of the leaders in their organization, whether or not they choose to engage in coaching. On our program today, Cindy Gave, president and founder of HR Advantage. Cindy, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for asking me, Jim. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, Contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.